Hello and welcome to the Bankers podcast series, Banking in Transition, looking at how the banking industry is adapting to the new normal as the world begins to recover from the global pandemic. I'm Joy McKnight, editor of The Banker, and my guests this week are Maria Shevchenko, a director of innovation at KPMG, and Paul Henninger, an AI expert and head of KPMG's Lighthouse, which is a global network of centers of excellence in data and analytics. Thanks so much for joining me. Good to be here. It's a pleasure, Joy. Excellent. Uh, so what would you say is the biggest challenge for financial institutions when it comes to their data? So maybe maybe I'll start on this one, uh, Joy. And I think at a very high level, uh, for me, it probably would be uh, four, four key elements. So availability of data, quality or integrity of such data, uh, completeness, uh, and uh, probably also accessibility to the data, uh, enabling uh, to make quick and informed decisions. And some of these decisions for the banks could be uh, purely for internal purposes, uh, while others could impact people's lives, especially when dealing with financial institutions that determine whether to lend or not lend money offer insurance, enable access uh, to our cash and savings, contribute to credit ratings that determine so much in our lives and just broader functioning of industries or the economy. That's thus, I personally think that the quality of data is, uh, is of vital importance and it plays a pivotal role in uh, numerous regulatory requirements uh, that oblige financial institutions to report on. Um, to ensure that it is um, held safely and securely and uh, in accordance uh, to the rules stipulated. And maybe the last, the last thought on this is accessibility is, uh, well, making sure that the data is there and maybe complete and available, but uh, making sure that it can be easily and quickly accessed is uh, also very important to enable um, not to lose on any any opportunities uh, for for those financial institutions or their ultimate clients. Another challenge um, uh, when it comes to data is that the questions that we ask of data can be more complicated than they seem at first. Um, and I'm thinking of an example of uh, um, some work that we did and the sort of starting point for that work was the simple question uh, for an org a pretty big organization, how many employees do we have? Which you think would be a relatively straightforward question in some respects. You know, there's a there must be a deterministic answer to mm. really the number of employees, and and what it turns out is that you know the number of employees can mean different things in different contexts. If you're talking about having to staff all of your locations next week, um, then the definition of an employee is you know first of all that they exist and you employ them, but but second of all that they've been trained in certain skills, that they're available to work, that they're not out sick, et cetera. Um, and that sort of number is different than the number that you might get if you're asking the number of employees that you, you have to pay this month or the number of employees that you're looking at for, uh, for you know, financial planning purposes. And so on some level, I think, you know, the, the, the you know, really simple things, the number of customers, the amount of revenue, the amount of risk, um, you know, there's, there's actually material and, and defensible reasons why you can get different answers to questions that sound very similar. And I think that's one of the things that trips people up in, in trying to get to, um, get to a, uh, you know, a high performing data capability, which is that, you know, the, the questions we're asking of that data are more complex than they seem. Okay. Um, 
and you know these incumbent institutions just have this multitude of uh systems that they're dealing with um you know how best do you think they can centralize their data assets i think one of the the best ways to centralize their data assets is to stop trying to centralize their data assets um you, you know there's the 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 effort to try to get all of you know all the data that we need together in one place for a financial institution has been going on for you know, at least 25 years, um, uh, if not longer. Um, and I remember, you know, about 24 years ago, I was in the office of a, a CFO of a very large uh, credit card issuer, and they just finished this multi-million at the time dollar um, uh, enterprise data warehousing project. And you know, the first report to come out of it showed that capex moved up, you know, a, a notable amount in one of their business units. And he had a reasonable question, which was why. And everyone spent three months sifting through the, the brand new shiny enterprise data warehouse trying to answer his question and couldn't figure it out. And I think the sort of the net of that is, you know, fast forward 25 years, we still have the problem that it is, you know, it's almost functionally impossible to get every piece of data that you need for everything in every circumstance um, in a single place. Um, the, the, the solution that people have started to focus on now um, uh, isn't sort of saying, well, this is an unsolvable problem. It's saying that that decentralized data or collaborating on data across an organization um, may be a better path to getting um, uh, getting the data that people need to the place that they need it at the time that they need it in order to make effective decisions. Um, and the, the you know the technologies you know have different names and different brand names, but uh, you know one of the ones that people like to use is Data Fabric, and it's a set of technologies that's more about enabling a sort of federated organization. You know, and most financial institutions have all kinds of different parts, different business units, different teams, um, and enabling them to to you know take a a controlled approach to collaborating on data, sharing data with each other. Um, doing it in a way that allows everyone to understand what data exists, what the quality is, to Maria's point earlier, how recent it is, and therefore what it might be useful for. Um, but but I think what's more important uh, than centralizing data is getting getting it to the right place at the right time to support the decisions that uh, an organization needs to make. And maybe maybe also to to add a little bit to to Paul points, and uh, and I probably wholeheartedly agree that uh, let's maybe. Uh, start about uh, stopping to try and centralize data and spending so much time and effort and, and money on it and, and look for a, for better ways to um, collating, collating access uh, to such as data uh, to enable collaboration. Uh, but but the, uh, um, the small point I wanted to make on this question is uh, why are we collating that data and what kind of data needs to be collated uh, in the first place? Uh, what questions are we trying to ask? Uh, a lot of a lot of clients, institutions, they just say, "Oh, uh, we want we want it all. We want it in one place." Uh, why? <laughs> uh, because in many cases, as you start digging through it, maybe some of the urgent, uh, I don't know, maybe regulatory requirements or implications or pertinent questions on the top of their mind don't don't actually require a very complicated solution, uh, but uh, require actually a very simple one. Maybe some sort of a very easy report um, that can be done quickly and cheaply as opposed to trying uh, to take the whole organization through a multi-year uh, program, multi-million program, uh, trying to ask, answer all possible questions that uh, maybe only few users or um, 
or clients are asking about. Okay, uh, well, that brings me on to my next question, which is, you know, there's been a lot of talk now around big data and accessing big data. Um, and then obviously to both your points about like servicing internal data as well. Um, and I think a lot of the financial institutions are really trying to grapple with the question about how, you know, can they draw valuable insights and bring these two data sources sort of together and then how they can draw valuable insights um, that will also then drive um, future and new business ideas. Um, I don't know, Paul or, or Maria, which one uh, would like to go first and try and tackle that one? I have to say, I think it's the million dollar question, but. <laughs> Well, maybe happy happy to start with this because uh, I've I I've tinkered quite a lot uh, with these type of questions, helping organizations, whether financial services or, or beyond, uh, draw insights uh, from from their data, data assets, and ideally monetizing them into to some sort of uh, competitive advantage or an information uh, that maybe would set them apart or allow them to offer better products or be faster to market, so be more client focused um, or I don't know offer instant uh, instant some sort of discounts or, or rates uh, mm. or opportunities to to clients and and there are so many options uh, out there so probably to your opening statement it's good to understand what kind of data is available to you already and where can you access it and have you tried looking at so uh, into some sort of insights from that, because there's a lot of information in, in data if, uh, if people are allowed access to it and uh, equally and importantly uh, are allowed some um, free imaginations uh, to playing with it and seeing what comes out of it. Uh, but secondly, and probably more importantly, is what's, what assets are out there, uh, structured, unstructured data, uh, free of charge data that you could layer into um, the information that you have uh, on your clients uh, to, do, uh, to do some sort of um, interesting, interesting analysis. And uh, maybe some of the, um, and I'll draw a parallel, one of the examples that I spent a lot of uh, time on is also within, within banking, looking at retail banking. And if you look there, you could look at uh, transactional data um, and see kind of where are your clients spending money uh, on. Um, and you could take uh, from that step uh, the users onto a complete journey from educating them on where are you spending? Are you maybe spending too much or too little? Here are some of your offers, whether it's a switching utilities or I don't know, uh, maybe drinking a little bit uh, less or going out a little less frequently. Because if you follow those steps, um, you could actually have that much money on the side, uh, which we could then uh, invest into some sort of a product or a solution, which would in turn over a period of time, maybe a year or two, could allow you uh, to do something with that pot of money, maybe buy your first uh, car, your first house, um, and here's what it would uh, require. And again, for example, end goal, if it is a house or a car, here are the cars uh, of the type that you're looking for that we could pre-approve you to purchase, or I don't know, a flat or a little house that we could pre-approve you to, to purchase. Um, and again, a lot of that uh, information, which is internal available on the clients or external around the market, uh, uh, or opportunities or products is, is available. And the same could be done uh, 
with commercial clients, again, leveraging and understanding which areas and industries do they work with, uh, who are their suppliers or who are their customers. And if their customers is growing, um, growing by definition, that will mean that your clients will grow with the success of your customers. So again, how can we enable them in such trends in real time? Um, as opposed to, um, again, wait until they come and knock on your door for a request for a new loan uh, or some sort of uh, credit, uh, credit to, to enable such a growth. And there's just so many, so many opportunities uh, to play with it um, and draw insights uh, and opportunities from. Yeah, and I think, I think in that context, one of the things that's important to think about in, in trying to get insight out of data is that the things that may be very valuable in that process or the, the types of data may not look like what we think of when we close our eyes and picture data, if mm -hmm. I don't know how many people actually go around doing that, you know, mm -hmm. um, so it, it doesn't look like it's in a, you know, a table of numbers or, or, you know, the sort of green sort of uh, binary thing in the matrix movie, a lot of data that's out there today on, um, on consumer preference, on what people are are engaging with, what they're interested in, you know, exists in in the form of you know documents or things that look like documents. So, you know, classically on some level that would include social media, but equally corporate websites. And when you think about you know uh, the challenge that banks have, it's partly you know not just understanding you know which of our products are getting used more and more profitably, et cetera. It's you know what's actually going on with 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 the people we're doing business with, whether that's a um, you know a retail individual or whether that's a small business or a medium or large corporate, and a lot of the information on 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 what those you know what those people are engaged with in the world, what's occupying them, what do they need money to do, whether it's to grow their business or whether it's to pay their bills, can be drawn in the aggregate, if not individually from some of those you know data sources which are you know more like a conversation than they are um, a math equation on some level and what we found is that is that if you do that the right way um, you can find information about you know what are your competitors doing you can find information about you know what are the sort of changes in how people are thinking about you know their life events you know coming out of covid we've done some work with um uh, clients around understanding, you know, how our patterns in terms of how people are spending, you know, what are they spending time doing, changing, and a lot of the sources for that information aren't classically, um, you know, things that look like uh, numerical data. To make that useful, you still need to quantify it on some level, right? You need to, you know, it's not just a matter of, you know, sitting down in, in the evenings and kind of scrolling through. Um, you know, articles or something like that. You have to find a way to to extract that and. And the good news is there's a lot of advances that have been made uh, in the tools that you can use to pull what is in effect quantifiable information about the types of topics um, that people are engaging with, where they're engaging with it, since geographically it may, may you know, or, or depending on the industry you're, you're doing business with may change. Um, and to sort of combine that then once you've quantified it with that, that internal view as Maria was describing, you know, and that's the type of thing where you really start to get the context that you need to evaluate a new business um, opportunity or to uh, to you know develop a program of systematically engaging with people not just around the their their banking decisions but around the the set of decisions which are adjacent to those which which are the things that result in either you know them coming to a, a financial institution to do business or or deciding to to go elsewhere for example 
And maybe just one last point to to what Paul is alluding to is it's not only just uh, financial institutions understanding elements about their clients, it's also understanding elements about them and how they are perceived uh, by those individuals, uh, what the sentiment about them is, is it changing, is it improving, is it is it decreasing, you know, I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of uh, jumps up and down uh, on that front through through COVID uh, because it was very difficult in some cases um, to to get hold of our banks uh, for simple questions or queries or or support. Um, and again, that that led to certain decisions uh, uh, to to yeah to change change those patterns. Okay. Uh, well, my next question is around like all the banks I'm talking to are have embarked on their digital transformation journey. And I have to say in some sort of even start to think about almost like a data transformation journey in that sense. You know, how do you think that data and data analytics can really help banks with their digital transformation journeys? I think one way it can help is that data in a really simple way allows you to measure things. And and one thing we found, and not just we found, but that's that's, um, there's quite a bit of interesting research on is that one of the best ways to change something is to measure it. There's there's lots of you know more academic studies um, that have looked at you know for example and kind of apropos what we've all been through um, the last couple of years um, there was a lot of experimentation that was done in hospital context to determine what was the best way to get people to use hand sanitizers more often. They tried training and education and. Um, you know, placing the hand sanitizing stations in different places. And one of the things they found to be most effective is if they just literally publicly counted the number of times someone used one by putting a little LED screen above uh, the nursing stations. And every time someone used one, it went up once. And at the end of the day, it reset to zero. And by simply measuring um, how much people were doing it, not telling them you have to do it this many times or, or you know, creating incentives or anything like that, by measuring it changed behavior and the usage of those hand sanitizers went up, um, you know, in some cases 30 or 40%, depending on the study. And I think the same thing is true for a financial institution. What data fundamentally allows you to do is to measure progress. Um, the starting point when you decide, all right, let's measure our progress is to, is to sit down and agree, well, how are we gonna measure progress? So if I'm going to embark on a digital transformation, you know, I think we're past the sort of magic trick phase of digital transformation, particularly for financial institutions, where where the primary focus of that is just to sort of try and demonstrate, you know, how we might engage with clients, how we might make credit decisions, how we might, you know, invest in different ways, you know, taking advantage of new technologies as a proof of concept. And what we really need to do is to see how those experiments, how the sort of um, uh, things we put in place via digital transformation materially changed the way we do business. In order to measure the progress against that, you need to decide, well, how would we know if we were making progress? Is it because we're growing the number of customers? Is it because that, you know, the lifetime value of our customers is increasing? Is it because the amount of time it takes to complete a task uh, reduces? And once you've agreed on those measurements, then you can go look to see, well, do we have the data to, to measure whether we're making progress? And if we don't, you know, can we think about, you know, data we could use instead of the data you'd, you'd, you'd hope that you had to do that? And once you've kind of got all that together, then in a very simple way, I think the right um, data and the right approach in terms of how you draw insight out of the data can be, you know, the kind of, you know, 
screen over the nursing station for a financial institution. You know, obviously you probably will set targets and say we want to reduce our, you know, our origination times, you know, from A to B or something like that. But what what we have found is that even just by in a really simple way, in a very publicly accessible way, not publicly in the sense that you put it up on a billboard, but in a way that everyone, you know, working on the project can see that the management stakeholders can see monitoring and and being able to sort of see progress or lack thereof against those metrics can be a really significant way to um, to to make progress and to to kind of stay the course or to adjust course when necessary on the digital transformation journey. Measurement is good um, if it's used to penalize people. It, it changes behaviors um, and again. Um, instead of collating and using the data for change, it's end up being uh, hidden or not talked about. Uh, or equally, in, in my case, if, if we were collecting data day in, day out, it also becomes very boring. So what we've instituted or worked quite a lot with is gamification to, to pulse points, you know, with those LED screens. But how to make it a little bit uh, more fun for people to not just look at numbers, but uh, maybe some sort of scores or who, who did better or who did more or is it changing? Is it, is it uh, not changing? Um, just, to, just to bring some fun around it. Excellent. Uh, and my next question is around sort of external partners. Obviously, there's a lot of partners like cloud providers, for example, um, or open banking, um, fintechs. You know, how can banks really work with these, this whole partner network really to accelerate, whether it's their digital transformation or their data transformation journey? Um, I'll try and, and, and answer maybe or start to answer this question because in my day-to-day -day work, I touch a lot uh, on all of those uh, partners that you mentioned, whether it's uh, cloud transformation or, uh, or large technology firms or small fintechs uh, or open banking uh, or any other uh, startup, uh, uh, startup companies or ecosystems that are out there. And it's actually quite uh, from... From my experience, quite easy to collaborate uh, with, all the, uh, with all of them. And I would highly encourage financial institutions um, to try, uh, to try and experiment, to try to collaborate, to try to co-create, and hopefully try uh, to innovate. Um, why is it good? Well, I personally feel that it is, uh, it is time efficient and probably in some cases uh, more cost efficient uh, to utilize something that's already done uh, instead of uh, try to build it from scratch every single time. So there is an opportunity to save time and cost, uh, but equally, because um, I come to a lot of um, data and technology, technology questions from a human perspective, and uh, we humans also enjoy a bit of a challenge or different way of working or different way of thinking. And uh, working with those external partners, again, big tech, small tech, actually brings um, a lot of new, fresh thinking, new ideas, energies uh, to the firms and the colleagues uh, that they would interact with. And uh, typically, again, from my experience, it's usually um, a lot of good fun uh, and invigorating and motivating for people to collaborate and see uh, if working with someone externally, they could solve uh, a big or a small problem. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I guess the only thing I'd add there is that I think a lot of financial institutions have done some excellent work over the last decade or so engaging with the community of fintechs and 
cloud providers and others who um, who are you know trying new things and pushing innovative technology solutions into um, you know into the world. I think there's a tendency to uh, to collaborate more aggressively with those um, with those folks uh, on problems that seem kind of at the you know the edges of what of what a financial institution is trying to achieve, you know, the sort of branch of the future or, um, or, a, you know, a brand new product platform and things like that. I think, you know, one thing we found to be the case is that even in the sort of legacy elements of what, what these, you know, what an institution has to deal with, um, you know, bringing in the technology that might not exactly be built for, you know, kind of, um, I don't know, capital allocation or something like that, you know, and bringing bringing some of those novel technologies into into a legacy process um, can can be sensible, not because it's fun to experiment with legacy processes that you have to rely on, you know, not to break down, um, but because you know there's just a ton of progress that's, that's been made at a fundamental level with with the sort of modularity or or um, you know reusability of those technical assets, and so. So what we found is that there's as much innovation and um, opportunity for transformation uh, by pushing some of those slightly more novel technologies into parts of financial institution that, um, you know, that are just, you know, not, not necessarily the ones you'd think of when you think about, you know, mm -hmm. the, the cutting edge, if you will. My next question is around environmental, social, and governance criteria, which has obviously become such a hot topic, but there's a lot of debate around it as well in terms of, you know, actually measuring progress. You know, how can banks better measure their ESG progress using their existing uh, data assets? So it's a good question, and it, it kind of brings together quite a number of the things that we've talked about. You know, when you think about, um, I mean, one way to think about ESG, I mean, obviously, so ESG is, you know, has to do with environmental issues and social issues. But another way to look at it is, you know, let's say it's a financial institution looking at themselves. You, you know, there's all the sort of balance sheet um, uh, data that you could use to evaluate the performance of a financial institution. And ESG is almost kind of everything else. Um, you know, how do we treat our employees? How do we pay them? You know, how do we hire them? Um, you know, what's our, you, you know, what's our emissions impact? You know, what's the, the impact of our investments? Um, you know, how does our, our physical footprint um, have an impact on the world? And then obviously the governance, you know, of a financial institution is something that actually, particularly from a regulatory point of view, people have looked at quite often. And kind of coming back to the point that we were talking about earlier, a complete answer to um, what does a financial institution look like, or really any organization look like from an ESG point of view is going to come from multiple places. Um, so some of it will come from the kind of off-the-shelf data providers that 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 accumulate information uh, from from you know uh, some of the thousand thousands of largest institutions, including many financial institutions. Um, some of it will come from internal assets. You know, the if you're if you're trying to understand your your exposure um, from an ESG point of view across you know credit portfolios or investment portfolios, there's there's actually quite a lot of information kind of locked up in the in the documents that 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 exist inside an organization. Um, and there's good ways to take that out. But equally, as we said before, there's quite a lot of information in the sort of conversation around these organizations 
um, you know, from in the news coverage and social media, in NGO reports, uh, in corporate websites, uh, in in government reporting, et cetera. Um, and all of that together can give you um, a, a much more complete picture of um, of ESG progress, partly because it, it allows you to kind of triangulate on whether that progress is progress in the sense that, you know, if you look at that problem from, from the external perspective, from the internal perspective, from the industry standard perspective, if, you, if all of those variables kind of agree that, yes, we've made an investment in this area and, and we've measured progress in that area, then, you know, you can have a very high level of confidence in representing to to the world um, or making an investment decision based on that information. Um, the second thing in the sort of, you know, embedded in what I was saying though, is that the measurements in terms of ESG are a little bit, you know, and increasingly as global standards get defined as to what's acceptable and not acceptable, you know, whether you're meeting the requirements as stipulated in certain regulations, you know, whether it's regulations uh, originated by the EU or otherwise. Um, the the other way to look at it though is relatively speaking and that's you know without getting into the mathematics is is important because if let's say you're you know you're a you know in an asset management organization you're trying to create a product that you know that incorporates you know people who are scoring well um, from an ESG point of view, you know, that, that is in essence a bit of a relative measure. You know, what, 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 what looks good from an ESG point of view will certainly vary by sector. You know, a good looking uh, energy company from an ESG point of view might look entirely different, not necessarily better or worse, but entirely different than a, a good looking retailer. And so your ability to kind of stack up all of those folks and, and, and understand, you know, how do they rank from top to bottom and why, why do they rank from top to bottom is really critical. So, so getting a complete picture of ESG, you know, is something we're going to have to, to work on, you know, over a number of years. And it's about bringing together multiple perspectives from a data point of view on, on the components of what, what defines ES and G for an institution, whether they're looking at themselves or whether they're looking at, you know, the companies they invest in or the companies they do business with. And then, and then it's about, you know, understanding how, we, you know, how, how we stack up and why, you know, what changes could we make that would differentiate us and, and what are changes that we, we can't make because we can't really control it. Um, and what are changes that we could make that actually may not make a difference, um, you know, that, that are just keeping us in the middle of the pack and don't allow us to differentiate, um, you know, don't, you know, may, you know, may be good things to do and have an impact on the world, but are just something that's, you know, stuff we've got to do to keep up with, with everyone, not something that we're doing to, 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 you know, really make an impact above and beyond what, you know, what, uh, what we have been in the past. Okay, and Maria, you know, again, uh, maybe to that same point, but then also pick up on Paul's, the points that he made in terms of where else should banks be looking to help them measure their progress in terms of ESG? Oh, it's uh, probably also one of those uh, very, very expensive questions that everyone is trying to answer at the moment, uh, because the, the challenge with ESG is, uh, uh, is uh, to Paul's point, is the, the framework, uh, there's so many frameworks and they're all uh, a little bit uh, inconsistent or vary in their methodology or approach. So we're all trying to move in the right direction of uh, measuring the ESG and using those measurements uh, in the greater good. Uh, but it is, um, it is a little tricky and vague because some of those elements, uh, I mean, I don't know, 
the social element of ESG. So how do you how do you measure something that maybe is is um, less less tangible? And it uh, probably is going to some of the discussions we've had today is ensuring that the toolkits and the technologies available within your corporation uh, are comfortable and um, adaptable enough to use with the uh, quote-unquote typical data sources, maybe some structured data elements, but equally uh, the non-typical, non-structured elements, whether it's some sort of sentiment analysis, where it's ability to look at what's being said uh, as opposed to written about you um, in the news, um, Again, maybe some extraction and information uh, from the websites that you publish about how you um, and uh, your strategy con contributes to the ESG mission. Um, and um, I don't know what, uh, what some of your clients or suppliers are doing on that front too, because sometimes you can be doing um, everything you can uh, within your remit on that front and trying to measure, but uh, there's also... Um, a challenge around measuring uh, your supply chains, your clients, um, your counterparts to ensure that if something happens on their ends that might not be entirely within your control uh, could could impact uh, potentially or influence uh, your ESG um, rating or or value or the perception. So um, simple question, difficult uh, difficult to answer, but. Uh, in, in summary, I would probably say yes, just make sure from technology perspective that you've got those toolkits that can work work uh, around uh, varied data sets. Uh, from uh, your perspective, try, try and find ways uh, to uh, measure elements to the best of your ability and hold yourself accountable, whether it's on the governance front, the social front or the environmental front. Um, and uh, see how you're progressing against the stipulated goals. And um, I would also say um, use it as um, as a strategic strategic goal for your own company because uh, we are seeing that everyone is interested, and especially the younger generations wants to form part of the sustainability uh, of the greener future. Uh, so uh, my guidance would be that while a lot of it is, is a numer numeric and potentially in some cases just a regulatory, regulatory exercise, but uh, do get your colleagues involved uh, in that process, uh, help them to contribute, um, help them to be part of that journey from where we are today uh, to a greener future. And there's also, you know, a question about, you know, how you look for that information or, or even how, how frequently, you, you know, I think in terms of the sort of requirements that we have around ESG now, on the one hand, um, you know, if you just look at it purely from a, you know, what, what types of reporting are required, um, we don't need to worry about it um, all that frequently. The reality is, though, that when, when an institution gets itself in trouble from an ESG point of view, that happens in real time because they've made an investment or they found that they're, they've done business with an entity or have made some decision somewhere in the organization that, that has an impact, uh, could be a social impact, could be an environmental impact, um, that, that, that crosses a line. Um, and, that, and because ESG is, you know, it touches on such an important set of issues at the sort of societal level. That line isn't necessarily, you know, set in stone, even if there's attempts to to codify that, you know, via via regulation. 
And what I mean by that is, you know, what's considered acceptable, you know, let's say from a social point of view in terms of corporate behavior um, today is not what was acceptable two years ago. And, 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 you know, we could find that, you know, three months from now that changes. Mm. Um, and that's, that's more true of social issues, but it's also true to some extent of, of governance and, and environmental issues. You know, the sort of bar keeps, you know, getting raised in terms of the role that particularly financial institutions have um, in, in influencing, you know, the whole world's financial uh, environmental impact, you know, in terms of what they're financing and, and who they're doing business with. And, and so I think the, the point I was trying to make was it's really important to have a pretty continuous view of how, um, you know, how you stand from an ESG point of view. And that if the data sources that you're, you're getting, you know, only update once a year are only based on surveys, you may find out that you've, you know, crossed a line because you read about it uh, in the Sunday paper or, you know, on your iPad or whatever. Um, uh, and not because, you know, you, you had a good monitoring capability that said, you know, you've got some sort of downstream thing starting to happen. Um, could, could be, you know, in some, it could be in a, you know, an entity that you do business with, or it could be in a, you know, part of your distribution, um, you know, uh, chain, um, or your supply chain, um, that you, you really need to know about, um, before, before you find out, um, that it's a massive problem. So, so I think ESG is, it's not today something uh, that everyone needs to be monitoring literally minute to minute, but before too long, I think that's really going to be um, what what we need to do. We need to we need to be able to bring in bring in data pretty much every day and and understand what's changed, what's changed about the way the world sees us, and to some extent, you know, think about that as Maria said in the context of, um, you know, where is the line in terms of what what's expected of us, and that's. That's from the point of view of not just regulate, regulators, but as, as Maria said, from from your employees, uh, from your consumers, um, from your partners, uh, and, and a range of communities. So it's it's um, you know I think we're just at the beginning of understanding uh, and starting to be able to um, you know quantify what type of impact we're having as as organizations and what types of risks we're taking on and how that changes over time. Maybe just as a final point, because I was just thinking and reflecting to how we we started this discussion mm. around financial institutions and, and data. I mean, if you think back in the days of how um, credit ratings uh, came about, right, I, trying to put some sort of a number uh, to us as the whether we were credit worthy as individuals or corporations, I mean, to, to a degree, this is this is a broader element and a broader uh, broader journey that we're going to endeavor on. Um, and again, something that instead of uh, updating once a year or so will be used um, more frequently as a force for good. Um, and I would emphasize the force for good because uh, um, I think sometimes we, we create new regulations and elements for good, but then they're used uh, to penalize or discriminate. And I would really try to to make sure that we do remember that this is the beginning of the journey, that the journey is meant to create something good of it, uh, out of it, as opposed to, I don't know, either bragging rights or ways to bring down your competition. Um, this, is, this, is, this is our future. This is our future from social, from government, from environmental perspectives. So let's, uh, let's use it as a, as a force for good. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your insights, Maria and Paul. Been a pleasure. Great to talk with you. Thank you.
And thanks to our audience for listening. Keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and follow our discussions at thebanker.com forward slash podcasts. Thanks again. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.